0: bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by cashfly at c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y.com this episode is brought to you by the new voice activated sync featuring hands-free calling music and podcast search and turn-by-turn navigation available exclusively on ford lincoln and mercury vehicles for more details visit syncmyride.com com. This week on TWIP, a wrap-up of CES and some of the cool photography-related
1: product announcements, an interview with HDR expert Trey Ratcliffe, and special guest host, digital imaging expert Richard Harrington joins the fray. All that and more coming your way right now on episode number 124 of This Week in Photography. Welcome back to another exciting episode of This Week in Photography. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today is a very special show. This is the show that's following the Consumer Electronics Show. Lots of interesting things were released, and we thought we would talk about them and recap them and vamp about what we thought was exciting during the show. Alex Lindsay is in the studio, and he happened to have gone to Vegas. Hey, Alex. I was there. You were there?
0: I yeah, I mean, you, you have to pick. It was good. I was glad that I, I only had to worry about Mac stuff and photo stuff. And so I, I didn't have to like... I, I really just kind of passed by most of the other stuff because it's it just too big of a show. Yeah, you just, had to put blinders on, it. Right? Yeah. It's a crazy show. Yeah. yeah.
1: And also in the studio, we have a superhero who, uh, when he has his costume on, he goes by the name of Red Pixel. But today, he's just Richard Harrington. Hey, nice. Richard. Nice to be here. Nice to have you. So you didn't go to the show, but you were, you were doing the smart thing and feverishly covering it by using the internet thing, right? <laughs> yeah, there's that whole interweb thing. I know. Why do you and fly you to saw, shows you, like You this? probably saw more of CES than I did. Yeah. I, uh, you I, had I've,
2: filters. I've, I've been to CES in the past. My, my memories of CES are about one-third of the people push you from behind as they're trying to get to the next thing. Zombies. And, uh, yeah, and then um, the Venetian Hotel and that other trade show that happens with all the scary people wearing baggy pants.
1: A, don't hate on the adult entertainment network thing. Does that
0: happen at the same time? <laughs> yes. yes. Don't act like you don't know. I didn't know. <laughs> I thought it happened at the same time as Comdex or whatever. I did it. No. Oh, it's at the same CES. time as no. It's, yeah, I I, you I know, was teaching I, I was, I was okay. at CES one year, and
2: my workshop on Photoshop was right across the hall from a workshop on
1: integrating new rubber products into your production. Wow. Ooh. Okay. Hey, yeah. they you know, they were okay, in so my hotel by the way, partying. I was at the MGM Grand, and. I think it was a company that goes by the name of Vivid Entertainment, I think, was uh-huh. I've having heard of a that. party at Studio 54 in, uh, in the MGM. Oh, man. I could have gone, but I did not. Yeah. <laughs> Stay out of that one. Yeah.
0: So it happens in the Venetian? Uh, I think so. <laughs> oh. Because it makes so much sense. I, when I first got there, I ended up having drinks over at the Venetian, and now it makes so much more sense.
2: Yes. there There was a disproportionate
0: number of attractive people with lots of surgery yeah so anyway so now now it all makes sense Uh, i was like i was was like wow it seems even crazier than normal you know like
1: it you know just in the whole trade show thing do you you guys think i mean you guys you've gone to trade shows just a few thousands and thousands you know like me so do you think that trade shows make sense because you know how apple's pulling out of the trade show business MacWorld doesn't have apple computer this year do you think do
0: do trade shows really make sense now that we have the internet and
1: and decent ubiquitous access and
0: so i I think that they make sense on, on a certain level. So I think that the way they're being done right now, I'm not sure if they make sense. But I think that the way that they – you know, w- one of the revolutions that we're starting to see that's going on is this um, – and I can't think of what it's called, ad tech or ad prep pop. Uh, you guys were at I, The Drobo was at it. Oh, sh- uh, Showstoppers. Showstoppers. Yeah. Okay, so – well, tell tell people what show stoppers okay, is. is, and I know this is this is a little inside baseball for people listening to photography, but it's important. It, mm-hmm. it, show allows you to pay instead of having a big booth and having a big crew and having all this, all, you know, paying all the unions and doing all the stuff, and you have a little table. Yep. And everybody and you, has the same size table. Everyone has the same size table, and um, it's just press. You have to be press, and the press just walks around to everybody's table. And and, mm-hmm. and for the press, it's awesome because they get to cover you know a hundred things without having to cover a hundred miles yeah, of, of walking. Uh, they get to hear what everybody has. And if you look at the behind the scenes of like CNN, of Fox News, of all these other ones, you'll notice that it isn't the big. You know, we shot in the big CES uh, for MacBreak, and Leo did, mm-hmm. but but that's not what you're seeing on CNN and ABC and Fox News. You're seeing the stuff from. Yeah, it's corralled and it's behind the scenes this was in one of the
1: one of the win conference rooms yeah so it wasn't even in the same hotel or in the same area and you go in there you know i'm a vendor so you go in there and they you have to sign your name show them an id your business card to make sure you are who you say you are yeah. um they give you a badge and they actively police that door and normally you could like slip in and mm-hmm. maybe maybe go out and give someone your badge so they can go in no if you leave and come back in you have to show them your id again and show them your badge and they let you in but when you get in there the event is i mean like like i said it's all, all, all the it's tables like- are the same size only presses inside it was catered to the hilt yeah. open bars in all four corners i mean it was it was a crazy thing it was and great. from
0: a, from a margin perspective looking at what they paid for the win and looking at what they charged their vendors uh it number one is it's you're, it's the densest way you're going to get exposure um, you know as a vendor yeah it 's much denser than c e than the than the main um thing and uh, it is, they're making good, I'm sure they're making bank. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, you know. So, I, I, so think,
2: I think the equivalent is, you know, on the photography side,
0: having gone to shows like Photoshop World
2: and even Photo Plus Expo in New York to many ways, there's still nice to have that concentrated focus on the equipment you're interested in. I mean, walking around right. Photo Plus, mm-hmm. I found eight new products that I probably wouldn't have found. You know, I spent a day up there, you mm-hmm. know, Photoshop World Trade Show. It's nice to go and see a small collection of folks. So, you know, there's still that, value of face-to-face meeting or getting hands-on and trying a product because you know a lot of times with the camera a piece of gear it's how it feels in your hand yeah so you like that and, and, and
0: that's what I, I do love going I, I love walking through them i don't know how much they make sense but i love walking through them you know when when going through the, the eye lounge or whatever at ces when we when we were looking at what we were going to shoot video of of course mm-hmm. like every so other scoping for MacWorld. well well i <laughs> we shot 20 uh 22 episodes wow. uh, on thursday so they're, they're all coming out in the next couple of weeks and so um so, I'm looking through all this stuff, and, and there is stuff that I've never seen before. You know, there's weird little things to stick your iPod to any flat surface. And there's, I found a guitar that you hook your iPod into. Mm. I mean, your iPhone. So, you can do the little, you know, the little strumming application yeah. for your iPhone. And you can put it into a guitar and hook it to an amp. And you can sh- you play Guitar Hero, though? All right, all right. That's I got to raise so anyway. the flag because I know our listeners <laughs> are, right. okay. are like, what is this? This week in
1: trade shows? This so week but, in <laughs> Yeah.
0: So, but the thing is, is anyway, so the CES is, uh, it isn't photo driven. You know, and I think I went thinking that there'd be more photo stuff there, uh, but there are things that are affecting our industry pretty deeply. hard. Drive, like, what, what's the biggest thing that,
1: that popped out in your mind, Alex? About what or what was released that's significant to our audience at CES?
0: Well, I mean, it's really directly, uh, we, and we covered this. So we're going to put out a couple of videos over the next uh, week uh, that cover the stuff that Ron and I saw mm-hmm. uh, uh, when we were walking around. So um, there are Ron who Ron Brinkman.
1: Oh, Mr. Brinkman was there. Yeah, oh. he and I were
0: wandering around. And so one of the things that uh, you know, of course Canon released a new 2.8, you know, their new 2.8 uh, 7200, mm-hmm. you know, IS. Um, yeah. so we we talked about that a little bit. Uh, it's an incremental, you know, improvement. Yeah. One of the things you're starting to see is these these huge monitors. Uh hu- yeah. huge TVs that are and all 3 Well, in 3D, but also ultra high res. So they're double the HD quality, which is really a problem. Once you get to, you know, once you start buying a monitor that's over 80 inches, you know, it gets a little, uh, you know, pixelated. It, you know, at ten yeah, eighty, because I have that problem with yeah, all that. yeah. You know, in my house, you know, I go, you know, I shouldn't have bought the eighty inches. I should have stuck with sixty. It would have been fine. No, no, I people don't. are rolling their eyes right now. And just so yeah, you know, if you're listening to your eyes, I have a, I have a little forty-six. It's not. That's I don't, what I have yeah, I do That's that's like the the high end of the normal. Mm-hmm. You know, after that, you're just getting absurd. Yeah. So so anyway, so that you have like an. No, 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 no. Yeah, Richard Harrington has. I, I, he married. has a wall size <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: television. Yeah, yeah, yeah. man No, no, no. I don't even have a flat panel. So. <laughs> really. I have an open box returned Sony that's nice but was five hundred dollars off. I have a very practical wife who just reminds me that technology. It's all about the
0: story. It's all about Mm -hmm. the story. Don't it doesn't have to be any bigger. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. See? I would have thought you would be like the
1: Uber the Uber got to have the best of everything, especially if it's video related, because you're like no, so you're you can, like the mecca of the video. Office, that's the office, yeah, exactly. That's oh, in the, the office you have like sixty in inches and all that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. huh that's <laughs> how you work home. it. Okay. <laughs> <And> oddly <laughs> enough, he doesn't go home very often. He, Richard, so Richard is is smiling over here, ear to ear. So <laughs> one's tax deductible, one's
2: not. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. exactly.
0: Yeah. So the so um. Uh, but these double resolution monitors are razor sharp i mean it is unbelievable looking at them so and 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 it's you know 30 whatever it is you know uh i want to say 3970 or whatever by 2160 you know double the resolution of so
1: here, here's a here's a good question now so these these beautiful displays are coming out and hopefully we'll proliferate over the next several years and it'll become the norm to have these ultra high resolution displays 10 Hopefully. years from now 10 years I mean, it's, okay. not gonna let's, be let's that, say 10 a, years but see the, the issue is that uh, i think speaking from a photography standpoint the issue is who cares right now from a photographer standpoint because if you're 90 I'm, percent, i'm just grabbing numbers out of the air but 90 percent of the images that you shoot are going to be shared online presumably to people with displays that aren't even equal to what you have what you're looking at to edit the image, well, I, why I, do you need to display that that beautiful? I, I mean
2: I think where it's going um, and this is sort of a tangential statement, but um display advertising technology which a lot of photographers are creating images for commercial use we're seeing displays show up everywhere airports retail places all over the place and so I think the fact that we're getting beyond these terrible screens that just totally monked everything up mm-hmm. um, you know you're used to when you travel through an airport or a train station seeing you know traditional type billboards or you know those the poster type sheets those are all changing and so yeah. I think as screens peripherate and uh, the demand for higher quality images is going to be consumed there's just gonna be more
0: markets for folks to get their images out there. Well, I think it's also a reminder for both photographers and videographers that when there's a temptation saying, well, people are only going to be watching this at 320 by 240. I mean, that's what when when YouTube came out, it was oh, 320 wow. by 240 and people were making content at 320 by 240 because, yeah. you know, no one's ever going to the, their final version was 320 and by now 240. Upset, right? And now YouTube is a, is 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 mm-hmm. either getting ready to display or displaying 1080p, you know, video. So YouTube is going to that you know even though it's being shared on the web, YouTube is now supporting 1080p, mm-hmm. and and I, that's and that's a whole different world. Yeah. I always say start high, finish low. You yeah, know, you can always acquire
2: more and dumb it down for distribution today. Right. but you want to future-proof those assets. So I think as a photographer, it's just pointing out that that investment of working in raw and capturing higher resolution images you're making images that are going to hold up so 30 years from now you're not going wow that was great i mean look at some of those first jpegs we were shooting like the early days of digital photography those images aren't seen a lot of life these days
1: yeah i want to you know i have some images that i dug up that i shot on a kodak dcs 420 that was one of the first digital. You know, I was you know expecting Apple QuickTake or whatever that was. Yeah, this yeah. was in that same era, but this is this was like the high end version of that because we had we got them in the military and you know it was like a Nikon N eight thousand eight body with a grafted on hard drive that shot sub one megapixel. You could get like right. six shots out in the battery, battery the life thirty <laughs> minutes. <laughs> oh yeah, we had to build battery belts for this thing. But the images from it were. I mean, we were using for a cardio too. workout and a digital
2: yeah. photography experiment. Yeah, I mean, it was yeah,
1: it it, exa- it was totally a workout to get that stuff. Out there, because when you deployed with it, you'd had to have redundant versions of your gear. So that meant double batteries, double cameras, everything. But the images, in retrospect, look like hell compared to what I get out of my iPhone today. You know, and those things
0: were like twelve thousand five hundred dollars a piece. I remember Polaroid you know? had the remember that spaceship. Yeah. It, it was so in 1996, I guess or 1996, 90, early 1997, they had this little. They had, Polaroid came out with a digital camera that I think was like 2.2 megapixels or something yeah. like that, 1600 by 1200, and, and it it uh and it looked like a little black little spaceship. And they sent me one to test, and you know I shot all over Lucasfilm with it, and and uh, you know, but it was, but you push the button and and then wait. Like two seconds for it to charge up the, the CCD, you know, you know, and, and, and every time, and I remember, I remember taking a a, a nine ninety. I had a I had a, a Nikon nine ninety for the capacitors in the flash. Yeah, charging. yeah, exactly. It was it was, uh, but they, but I w- was w- a hand crank. But back, you know, back when we were, when I was shooting in Africa, and we, I, I love shooting people on the road going by Mm -hmm. because just this incredible spice of life, you know, Mm -hmm. people, women carrying huge things under their head and, and, you know, kids running, you know, down the road and it's, it's a whole different thing because it's a walking society. And so, uh, anyway, but you'd go be going by, but you'd have to get good at, you'd hit the button and then follow the person and you'd get good at when you had to hit the button and he's like throwing a pass to a wide receiver. Uh, you, know, you know, you have to hit... <laughs> one before one. the point, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you, and, you, and to keep him in focus, you know. And, yeah. and uh, so the thing is, is that... Uh, but it seemed like, oh, three megapixels is great. But the problem is, is that, you know, that's why I don't... People are tempted to save memory, to go down to JPEG, or to shoot at a lower resolution. Don't do it. And, you know, and... We're getting to a point where we talk about it a lot here. That resolution doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that you should turn the resolution down on your camera. It means that you know it would be good to not have so much grain. Mm. You know, so let's focus on that for a little so
1: while. So let's talk about let's before we jump back into the CES stuff. Let's talk a little bit about distribution platforms coming out later this month. There's rumor to be a rumor. some sort of device coming out of Apple. A rumor with multiple leaks, apparently. Yeah. So yeah. there's there's a <laughs> like rumor assume. that has some <laughs> legs to it. So who knows, right? But you know, I think. On the on the Apple side I'd be a little worried because everybody has their own ideas of what this grandiose God device will it be. Walks. Yeah. It walks, it talks. Oh no,
0: it serves your food. Oh no, this guy says it actually cooks coffee. Yeah. I heard I heard it was like the new interface for the shuttle. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So,
1: but even
2: at CES, you saw a ton of tablets announced too. I mean, right.
1: Well, we know regardless. I mean, if it's from Apple and it's a tablet, and it's big. It's going to be cool. So we know it's going to be cool. But what I think, what, my question to you guys is, is this going to be? You know, we look at how how prevalent the iPhones are. Is this tablet, if it, it if it reaches anywhere near that kind of penetration, this has the possibility to be a, the the next distribution mechanism for photographers, or at least another one. You know, I'm designing my portfolio for the tablet. Well, and
0: one one thing to look at is one of the things that we've dug into pretty deeply in the last uh, couple months is the LP and DVD extra. Stuff that you can now do with iTunes, yeah, it's and, pretty cool. And it's yeah. So we've been we've been doing some tests for a. Can
1: humans do that? Just regular mortals? I saw. Yeah. Lynda.com
2: released a training title on it. Even
1: like
0: already. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, just oh, okay. I thought to, it was yeah. just
1: a studio special. No, no so they,
0: they finally, finally downloaded the spec. Yeah, they open up the spec, and you can actually distribute them and let people download them and put them on into iTunes, and
1: so we could do a version of this week in photography with little extra. Well, we, we
0: already have a version of MacBreak getting built this way, and so we're doing the test with MacBreak. No, I'm Break talking about moment. this week in photography. No. <laughs> and Twip is now. That's not the we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're not These aren't even, the droids yeah, you're looking yeah. so, for. <laughs> so the 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 thing is, is that um, but one of the things I noticed when I started looking at the format of it, I was like, you know, it'd be really easy to make a template that just fit, so that you'd have this interactive experience of either a podcast or a movie or an LP or whatever on your isolate or whatever they want to call mm-hmm. it. Or yeah, but, Apple TV or whatever. And, and you know, the format that photographers might be most interested in is like wedding albums. Yeah, You know, the thing is you could build this, this, this That's wedding right. experience, yeah. you build this wedding experience. Um, and because it's an open format, yeah, yeah, yeah. a wedding video, you could, you could, you could,
1: slideshow, music,
0: stuff, everything in
3: yeah.
2: yeah.
0: ambient like, like, be like the interviews,
1: DVD. audio interviews with the guests, you yeah. know, tell right. me
0: what you thought about John Doe. Yeah. Well, and, and here's, this gets back into something that we talk about. We get, you know, people talk. Give us a hard time for talking about it. But this is also why, as we look at this integration, why being able to shoot video on your camera is going to become more and more important as a professional and as an individual. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, this this is merging quickly. Well, I just – I don't see it as much about – we've always had
2: these distinctions in the past of this was photography, this was audio, this is video. And think about it from the point of view of a person. You know, it's – you perceive motion. You perceive still. You perceive sound. You know, we're just delivering content that the person wants to consume or that we want to share, and so I think it's really in the consumer's eyes, many of the same thing. And that's sort of what's driving industry these days. Is you know, the days of being able, you know, there is still room for artists, and there's still room to do your own thing. But for many folks, it's become an economic reality to create content that other people want, and so right.
0: you're being pushed into it, even if you don't want to go there. Sure, yeah, and, and a lot of this is always a push back and forth between efficiency. You know, part of it is is just of what's available and what's efficient and what can you distribute. I mean, the reason that we use text is because it was – it is a – text is a – you know, the reason books got made in the first place, I mean, and printed was because text is a good, um, you know, compression technology. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, know, it was a great compression and duplication technology. Mm -hmm. You can take a lot of ideas and stick it all somewhere. It used to be someone had to write that each – each piece, and then they got to a point where they could print it. So everything that we have looks that way because it was easy to get it out to a lot of people. And and it's not the text is not the the idea, and the experience is the important thing. And it, it's just simply the the mechanism to get it there. Yeah. And and you know stills are the mechanism to capture an event, you know, one mechanism. But I think that more and more we're going to see an expectation of and as we,
1: should, as we get the as people get the means to to view multiple types right. of of data as they do right. m- it, it, yeah. when they spend and it proliferates.
0: It. but but what
2: boggles me and i know that you guys have been around technology for a long time i ran a music newspaper back in the midwest in 1996 and 1997 we had a website it had pictures we had longer versions of articles there was color pictures we only printed in black and white it had audio clips of the bands we were covering it even had video clips and this was 96 97 oh, that was early you know but like I look at newspapers and I look at publishers and I look at photographers. It's like the world has changed. Just accept it. You yeah. are a storyteller and right. use everything you have.
0: Well, and, and I think that we're gonna and, and and why we keep on coming back to this video crazy, you know, this craziness in a photography show is that I do think that this rumored slate is the is going to be a huge step forward and I and, and you know and.
1: There you go, giving it more. You know, you're making it the Albatross. No, no, but, but I don't. I don't think
0: it needs. To I do wanted anything. to
2: have. Remember when they used to have that little iPod transfer dock for your digital camera, and you could oh, transfer yeah. images. I still have yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm just hoping, and I know nothing whatsoever. But I would love if I didn't have to buy one of those little portable dump units to like plug into my
0: camera Maybe and just like, go
1: over Wi-Fi or Bluetooth or something and just
0: transfer from the camera yeah. and back yeah. up in the field. Yeah, well, just saying. I, or I want to control the camera from it. But anyway, so the uh, on one, will do something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, they just gotta get. They gotta get rid of. They gotta get the laptop out of the pipe yeah you know that's, well, yeah. that's I, I a question for
1: richard here so so richard you're at the forefront of this stuff i mean you're an author you you your site is crazy that's where you you bring your clients in all your stuff is there um your you do training all this stuff you're on top of your i would say that you're you know as, as far as people that are engaged in the video industry go you're one of the forefront leaders right so st- sitting at that post Mm-hmm. how has the, what are your clients asking for that's different this year than it was say two years ago are you having to diversify and start delivering you know mp3s or mp4s or or what are you doing
2: well my company is a visual communications company um and what's red, the name of that company? red pixel All right. and what our HED, by the way yes it's unusual <laughs> uh but every web hit is ours um what we knew early on is that we were needed to tell stories. So a lot of our clients are nonprofits and then we also do a lot of stuff with high tech groups, And, um, you know, we sort of subscribe to a documentary approach. Mm -hmm. Our job is to capture a story and telling it in a compelling way. So we've worked with groups like the Red Cross where they only have photos. I've done all sorts of national TV commercials where we've only had photographic sources. So motion control, carving up pictures, working in 3D space, panning and scanning. Like Ken Burns on steroids. Yeah. And we did a whole documentary on uh, working with a great group – Called the Johnson Group uh, on. um, Hey, no. Yeah. (laughs) No, it's a a documentary on World War II. And uh, it was a lot of fun. So, you know, I love photographic sources. I've written books on Photoshop and Aperture and, you know, have taught at Photoshop World. But what I've seen, um, you know, this convergence is not new. You know, the Nikon and Canon weren't innovators. They just tapped into the fact and the other people making video on the cameras. They just said, oh, wow, there seems to be a demand for this. The demand was there for years. Right. I had video on my Leica Deluxe. Four or five years ago? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so this is not new. Mm-hmm. Um, what clients are asking for is, how can I take all these things and merge together? So we're seeing people wanting to take web elements and photo elements and video and audio. And when you're talking to, you know, I guess the next generation, the the younger generation coming up, these are just ingredients that make a story. Yeah. They're not
0: saying this is a video or this is a web project or this is that. Well, and, and, and I think that this is uh, – I don't know, where we're we, – whether we talked about this on this show or not, but the, the thing is, is that a hundred years ago when we started making movies, we were, we, were, we were shooting stage plays. We just took a camera up there and we said, Well, wow, this camera will capture moving images. We can, mm-hmm. we can capture the stage cam- plays. The camera will be a person in the audience. Yeah. And, so, and so we, st- we shot st- stage plays for the first you know, couple of years. And this year we released Avatar. Right. You know, you know, so, so the thing is, a hundred years from now, we, it doesn't look anything like it. And there was this break where we started doing it. Now I think that, for instance, I think the Kindle... Is shooting stage plays, right? You know, for for this kind of uh, acquisition, it Mm -hmm. moved the book in a very crude fashion, in my opinion, to an electronic device, but. These new tablets, and it's not just Apple's, but the new tablets that are doing video and everything else. Mm-hmm. This is going to collapse in, in more than anything else that we've seen. Is going to collapse this idea of yeah. I want everything all at the same time. There, people, I love
2: the Sports Illustrated demo.
0: I exactly. saw that. That was brilliant. But you know what? That oddly <laughs> enough, it was. And then you put this on a tablet device.
1: Yes, that but all this like stuff. Big, you know, even if it does, you know, go goes on the the rumored Apple device. All that's great, but things have to be cheap in order for them to get widespread adoption. I mean. Yeah. It, it, the yeah. iPhone, notwithstanding, of course, it's not very cheap. But now, what, a hundred bucks? Yeah, and get into but an that, iPhone. But that's the direction it's going to go. It, but, but you can still them. go into the bookstore downstairs from here and pick up a magazine for a couple bucks and and consume the content. You don't have to have a yeah, device that's yeah. charged mm-hmm. with a display that somebody might steal. No,
2: no, no, Eighty-seven right. percent of teens have an iPod, an actual Apple iPod. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah.
0: Here, here's the thing: yeah. is, but, but the. Uh, the issue is, is, you are right, when all we're doing is moving the magazine to the to the Slate or the iPod or whatever. But once the magazine starts having tons of extra video and tons of other Exclusive hyperlinks content. and tons of extra content and all this other stuff, you're not going to want to go back to, to watch. You're not going to go – the magazine is going to be – yeah, sure. When the news t- isn't
2: old. Like, why yeah. should I be looking right. at last week's sports scores? Why can't I get this week's issue that has an in-depth mm-hmm. interview with this person and some video? Or even pay-per-view, see, view, right? Pay-per-view
1: yeah. type stuff. Hey, I can't go to that concert to see – who you know? Name right. your favorite pop star, but I can
0: subscribe to it and watch it on my tablet. I mean, what happens yeah, when yeah. I when I right now? Like I I um I don't want to pay for the the whole year subscription. I don't want to go to Comcast and, and uh, pay for whatever to watch the Steelers on on one TV because I'm traveling all the time. Mm-hmm. You let me pay 3.99 to watch a Steeler game on my iSlate or whatever anywhere I am in the world. And I'll drop the money immediately every time I'm traveling, every time yeah. the Steelers aren't playing it, you know, every, every time so it's what, not being What's wrong. missing, though? I, I, what's I, missing, I,
1: Richard? What's, what's missing from what we have today? And we've seen at CES all these different tablets come out. We've seen the prototypes of the Time Magazine thing. Yeah. there, we, Kindle's out there. This is not a new technology. What can Apple bring to the table? Not to make the, the say this weekend rumor show, but what can Apple bring to the table that we haven't seen already? I mean, I, mean, well, we're, we're,
2: I, I think it ties back to the content creators. the... The holdup here is not really the technology. The technology's been around. We've artificially limited it. You know, I I listen to all these people talking about the death of newspaper and lots of photojournalist friends hurting for work. And I think what's going to happen is that the content creators just have to say, wow, this technology allows a new medium which can increase demand. And so what does Apple bring? Well, Apple brings a past success of huge consumer sales and almost a standardization. So this technology has been here. Other people have slates. Other people had smartphones. What Apple brings is the fact that, Oh, you know, my two year old can use an iPhone. I could hand her an iPod touch and she could figure out how to start a movie playing. Yeah. They bring the fact that the technology while can be complex is so easy for the average person to use. So Apple brings the market, and if the content creators could bring the acceptance that the old mediums are gone, mm-hmm. this isn't about print or web or this is TV, this is content that people want on demand, there's a huge opportunity for photographers.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and I think that the, uh, what Apple also brings is iTunes. You know the yeah, iTunes Music Store is the killer app. With a whole bunch the of credit card stored. That, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it's a distribution is just, mechanism, is what it is, and it's insanely cool. You yeah. know, half the time when I buy, I mean, uh, uh, half the time when I buy an Audible thing, if I'm on, if I'm not on my computer with the cookie and I have to sign in, and everything yeah. else, I just go to iTunes and buy it. I don't
1: you want know, to buy and, any software. I want to buy all my software with the same experience that and I never. purchase <laughs> apps from the iTunes well, store on my I computer. I yeah. want it installed, I want it to keep track of what I have, I want it on the server backed up in case I lose it, I want to be able to bring it back.
0: Yeah. yeah. I want that experience for everything. I don't want to buy any more discs. Well, that's the whole thing is is it. And I would do it if if Apple distributed software for my Mac through via iTunes. Um, as both a software um, producer Mm-hmm. Because we, we make keyer software, well we make some stuff for aperture and for you know for final cut and mm-hmm. everything else as both that producer, I would absolutely use it, and as a consumer, I would absolutely use it yeah because i don't want i don't want to i don't I cannot describe how complicated it is to get a good digital downloads setup that doesn't cost you an arm and a leg you know, to, to no, make, you it, to make a, it work. As a distribution as a distri- mechanism. As a distribution yeah. mechanism.
2: And, and I would like to see – You know, I have a friend who's a photographer and a videographer who does HD landscapes and sets them to music and creates these nice scenic um, things. He's been picked up by like DirecTV. He just has these beautiful landscape shots set to classical music that people do on-demand views and like play at a party or in the background or they could purchase and own. Yeah. If Apple could just open up some of their stores a little bit more, so it'd be easier for normal folks. Like, imagine having you know a photography channel where photographers could be creating actual you know. Not, I mean, you, you know, you maybe this is just us, but I think even normal people, when you see a photographer show their work set to music, just a beautiful slideshow. Mm-hmm. You know, they've one they're using Keynote. It's so easy to publish that to a compatible iPod yeah. device, anyways. Why can't there be a market for that? You know, right now the only market that Apple has for these things to get out there is the free podcast market. It's very difficult for a normal person to get anything into the iTunes store except through the
0: podcast channel.
1: Yeah, we're going to take a slight pause right now to.
0: Um Give a nod to our sponsor. Yeah, we'd like to thank, of course, uh, the SYNC, um, which is uh, – SYNC is all available exclusively on Ford, Lincoln, and Mercury vehicles. Uh, SYNC uh, listens to your voice. So without your hands, you can make calls or you can go on your mobile phone. You can find and play music and podcasts. You can get turn-by-turn navigation. You can even access real-time uh, traffic and weather. Uh, also, um, you know, it's uh, – you know, there's been a lot – you know, Ford is opening up uh, – this was announced at CES – uh, Ford is opening up an SDK, so you're gonna be able to develop, you know, for, uh, the sync. You know, what does not that sync, mean? Actually, well, will I be able to build or what will... S- not individuals, but it means companies will be able to build stuff. Like so, so it's gonna, well, I mean like, well, my holy grail is been... Well, there, Google's already... Well, well no, no, but Bing I, I, is integrated probably, yeah. This is a whole other. this is a whole nother conversation. But, yeah. but, <laughs> but the, the thing is, is that there's lots of things that would be great to have with a, a, a nav s- system. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you knew it was going to be standard on a whole bunch of cars or be available on a whole bunch of cars, there's a lot of things you'd want to do, like GPS-activated audio so that you could get a tour of – you say, I want to do download Civil War battlefields and then travel around. And it says you know, turn right, turn left. Oh, by the way, over here is where Stonewall Jackson, you know, Jackson got his hand shot and he mm-hmm. died later. Or Sounds no, like they, they need an app store.
1: What they need an app store?
0: I think I think I think they're working on an app store. So I, I believe they have an app store. I, I can't remember. I was watching Leo talk about it, and, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh, that is awesome!" So, Sweet. so anyway, so that, this is uh, so check it out. Um, Sync uh, once again for Ford, Lincoln, and Mercury vehicles. I, I just think it's fantastic. I think that the uh, um, uh, that what Ford is doing is. Uh, um, is really you know kind of space age you know with with what they're doing with these things and and we're going to be doing a bunch of other stuff uh, related to trips so and watch. There's going to be extra episodes, extra video episodes this week, this week, mm-hmm. and uh, the rest of the month uh, over stuff we saw at CES. For more details, visit SyncMyRide.com.
1: Cool. And now I'd like to just introduce our interview guest Trey yes. Ratcliffe. Um Trey's been on the show before. Uh, he actually showed up in the. Same capacity that Richard's here as a kind of a, a special co-host for the show. But I had a chance to sit down with him and do a kind of an in-depth interview and talk about um, mainly we what I wanted to hit with him was the controversy that surrounds um, HDR photography and since he's, so he's sort of waving the flag as the poster child for it, what he thought about it and how he deals with the, the negative sentiment and the, the adoration that he gets around some of his imagery. So it's a really good, it's a really good discussion and you, you'll get some, some interesting and some unexpected points of view from Trey about HDR photography and also some tips about how you can, if you're interested in that technique, how you can make your HDR imagery better. I'm here with Trey Ratcliffe. He's a photographer and author and educator and kind of a rabble rouser when it comes to uh, <laughs> stirring the pot about you know different techniques, which we're going to get into this interview. Trey's agreed to come on the show. Um, he's been on the show before as a guest host, but we haven't had a chance or I haven't had a chance to talk to him in depth about all the stuff that he's into. So brought him back he's here he's agreed to sit down and and chat virtually he's in you're in austin right trey that's right yeah he's in austin i'm in san jose but we're sitting down virtually to uh to talk about a world in hdr which also is the title of his new book hey trey welcome to this week in photography
3: ah thank you fred i appreciate that
1: you're quite welcome
3: so let's uh
1: for the folks that don't know who you are um which may be a couple, you know, or like I'm holding up. You may be able to count them on one hand because your blog is so highly trafficked. What? Who is Trey Radcliffe and what? What's your personal elevator speech?
3: Well, <laughs> I don't usually like giving a personal elevator speech because <laughs> you know you you end up because if you go through these bullet points of yourself, you end up sounding like this egomaniac, which I which I'm really not. But I guess, I guess most people know me for my blog at stuckincustoms.com. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of become an epicenter of, um, of my take on HDR photography. And I love uh, sharing this stuff with the world. And it got started a few years ago uh, when I started really experimenting with HDR photography and trying to make it look more realistic and better and something that I think everyone could add to their arsenal. So I put together a tutorial, I shared it widely then i started going around the world to shoot with great hdr photographers all over the place we would shoot all day uh, we'd go back and post process all night and i'd take their techniques integrate them into my own i share them back with the world and over time i think i've just gotten to be known as this guy that that runs a you know i guess a, a pretty blog and i'm i'm very descriptive uh about uh, you know where i travel around to and the kind of techniques i'm learning and i share everything openly so I think that's maybe how most people have come to know me, uh, at least in the beginning.
1: Now, Trey, you said two things there. You said um, adding HDR as a tool to your tool belt, and you also referred to some of the photographers that you worked with as HDR photographers. So which is it? Is, it, is HDR a technique that you would add, or is it, is it a way that a photographer would define himself? Like, say, I'm an HDR photographer.
3: Well, it's definitely a tool, and I think if you use that tool on more than 50% of your shots, you might tend to call yourself an HDR photographer. I think too often here in the West, as opposed to the East, we do tend to over categorize uh, what we do and what we call ourselves. You know, there's still this big hang up on professional versus amateur, and you see all these long diatribes on one versus another, and you see all the same things with uh, uh, various definitions around one style of art versus another. And I don't pay attention to any of that nonsense. When I say I'm an HDR photographer and I I sometimes go out and shoot with other HDR photographers, this is just one of their favorite tools and they've come to use it to bring out all the light in a scene that the camera can't normally capture. So that's kind of how we've come to define ourselves, I guess. Yeah.
1: So then, um, you know, just talking about the book, I want to take it to the book a little bit. Uh, You just released a new book. Um, called a World in HDR uh, by you, and by the way, I wanted to applaud you uh, for. I'm looking at the cover of it. This is one of the. I think this is the only book that I've seen ever that has the byline as a Twitter address. <laughs> <So, laughs> <laughs> you got the you got the ad symbol in front of your um, uh, in front of your name there. So was that? did did your publisher did peach pit say hey you should do this because you have such a huge following or did you just do it
3: no i i kind of talked them into that although they they were pretty open to it they understand how much things are changing and you know they it's uh we used to live in a world where you know authors were these unapproachable uh people that sat on these ivory towers and and maybe you might get a chance to talk to their publicist but That's not the world we live in anymore. I want people to know that they can ask me a question at any time. They could follow me um, and just communicate with me. And if if I happen to be around and catch your question, I can respond to them. But, uh, you know, I can be a part of their immediate world, and I want them to be part of mine, too. Uh, Everything's changing, and I share everything so openly. I don't see how the book needs to be any different than the website or anything else I do. It's just another form of media.
1: Yeah. Now, looking at the book it's um, it's big, much like your website, which I want to talk about too so the images in there are big and glorious, and you know it's almost like a coffee table book with uh, instruction um, in certain parts like at the be- at the end i'm lo- I was looking through it and sort of going through your travels and who you met and what you were thinking when you made certain photos um, and then at the end, you sort of go into how to do this stuff now it, what? Where? And I'm not trying to categorize you, but where is the book? Where am I supposed to put the book? Do I put it on my put it in my bookshelf? Do I put it on my coffee table? Do I what? what what's the ultimate destination for the book?
3: Well, you got to get two of them, really. If that's <laughs> <laughs> if that's your issue, I I have a good good uh, solution for you. But no, uh, so it really is um, all things to all people. It's a great great book. And I'm saying that totally objectively. Um, I have taken extreme care to put down exactly what people need to do to get used to HDR photography and start doing it on their own. Um, I'd like to think that I do fairly realistic uh, HDR type work. And I make it uh, real and approachable and fun and beautiful. And I have taught thousands of people how to do this. Um, And I can teach anyone how to do it. Uh, Because of the nature of this HDR tutorial, I started about three years ago online. I iterate on it every three months based on feedback. And so I just show people exactly what they need to know. You know, I look at a lot of other books, not necessarily HDR books, but I do look at other uh, how-to books on occasion. And they are um basically a lot like manuals, but maybe a little bit more verbose, which I think is worse. Because uh they sometimes maybe um other authors might have trouble coming up with two or three hundred pages of stuff. So they go into every little checkbox and every little sub menu and describe, you know, ten ways to do the same thing. Yeah. I don't do any of I tell you exactly what you need to know. I tell you the bare essentials to get you up and running. And then if you want to know more, we have some of that in the book too. So it is everything that you need to get started. And even if you've been doing HDR for a while, if you want to amp it up to the next level, we've got all of that in there too. So we uh, really took care to make this uh, very understandable uh, to all levels of photography because I know the audience inside out and I know what they want to hear and how they need to hear it. And I, I love sharing it with them.
1: That's awesome. Now, now Trey, I was reading through the book. And, and one thing that I did know about you is that you are blind in one eye. So how has that affected you <clears throat> and your, your, just your overall photographic technique and just photography in general?
3: So I did grow up seeing the world in 2D. You know, I think most people take it for granted that they can see the world in 3D and they use parallax to to see, mm-hmm. um, you know, relative position and perspective and this sort of thing. In depth so I came up with my own, yeah, that's right. So I came up with my own system for um, seeing a 3D world basically in 2D. So when I started getting into photography, um, the way I composed photos was maybe a little bit different. And the way I've always processed light and color internally has been kind of my own creation. And so when I started shooting with a, a DSLR camera, I would look at the result and thought, man, you know, that's not how I remember scenes. That's not working for me. Mm-hmm. So I, I found out about HDR photography, and I started iterating on it, and I didn't quite like how what it did to my photos. They seemed too psychedelic or too weird, or, you know, the sky would come out too gray or hazy, uh, there'd be halos, and I thought, well, you know, I don't see halos out there. That's not right. But some of these other things I do see. I do see some of these rich textures. I do see some of these light levels. I don't see things oversaturated, but I do see things in their proper light. Yeah. And HDR seemed to uh, uh, really help me out. So it, it, it just made natural sense to me. That's great. So there's a, there's a, a definite look and signature look to
1: a, to a, a high dynamic range image. Um, and in, in presumably, you're making money from this from your images. Um, is is there a huge market for this stuff right now?
3: There's absolutely a huge market for it. Um, I can say that with ontological certainty, because let's 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 think about how the nature of licensing images is changing and will continue to change. You know, there used to be just a few gatekeepers, uh, the Getty's and the Corvuses of the world. And actually, there used to be only a few buyers, right? The big magazines, the big newspapers, the big TV companies. Well, all of that is gone. Now there are hundreds of thousands of buyers and hundreds of thousands of sellers. So these middlemen, as they get disintermediated, you end up with a lot of small and medium-sized businesses. And they have marketing managers that need images for whatever. They're launching a product. uh, They have a travel site. uh, They're putting together a brochure, an annual report. Small to medium-sized companies always need images for a whole host of things. And so what do they do? They jump on Google, they jump on Flickr, and they type in what they're looking for. And they see images that come up. And beautiful images come up. There's so many great images of all these places all all over the world or whatever the subject matter is. And they're looking at these fairly small uh, thumbnails. And HDR images will jump out as something different. They'll be like, whoa, what is that? I've never seen anything quite like that. And they zoom in and they see it see it a little bit bigger. They go, wow, this is really different and stunning. I, You know, our customers or our clients would like to see this. And then they, they contact the people that made the image. And they say, hey, is this for sale? Uh, would you license it to us? That's basically how we know. Because... Uh, we get tons of offers all the time rolling in. Um, we, do, we are represented by Getty for a small portion of the images, but most we aren't. And so we, we just get, have a constant flow, ever increasing. And if we look at it over the last two years, it's just going more and more in one direction. And that direction appears to be people want stunning, unique images to represent their product or their company.
1: And how do you come up with those stunning, unique images? Are, are these on assignment or are they, are they mostly specs and self-assigned?
3: Well, I'm, I'm uh, different, I think, than a lot of photographers. And, um, uh, and I don't know if this is necessarily good advice that I'm giving. I'm just telling you my own experience. And, sure. and so I, I travel on my own. Like I went down to Argentina and to Japan this last year. And uh, I just kind of travel there on my own and, and paid my own way. And I shoot uh, nonstop. And I come back and I process beautiful images. I shoot what I want to. I shoot it because I think it's beautiful. I think it's interesting. And I want to share it with the world. Now, a lot of those images, uh, nobody will ever want to license because it's maybe something that I only think is interesting. But a lot of them are quite universally appealing. And they can map whatever uh, product or service they want to onto it. You know, if you just see a beautiful picture, sometimes you can figure out a way to wrap a whole advertising campaign around it. Um, so that's basically how I go about it. No one owns my images. I own 100% of them. And uh, if people end up wanting to license them, they, they come to me and license them.
1: All right, let's talk about the, the nuts and bolts of the technique, the HDR technique. Um, there's there's h d r high dynamic range photography, and then there's tone mapping. Can you talk about just fundamentally what each of those terms means
3: sure yeah there's a lot of uh, technology purists that really get caught up in the in the proper uh, use, care, and feeding of these words yeah. uh, but the reality is is that HDR is the phrase and the term everyone uses, and nobody really uses tone mapping. An HDR image, technically, can only be really viewed with an HDR monitor, but nobody really has those. Uh, They might come out someday, but frankly, I I doubt it, because kind of like the difference between Blu-ray and DVD, the common man can't really see the difference, so I don't think that's really going to drive demand for a whole new different kind of monitor so you can view a true HDR image. So the way you get an HDR image into a, a JPEG or a TIFF is you tone map it, all right? But this gets really geeky and nerdy at some point. And so I think that the, the average photographer, when you look at a photo, they're going to say, oh, that's an HDR image. A very small percentage of people will say, oh, that's a tone mapped image. Well, you know, uh, since to me, 80 90% of people say that's an HDR image. That's what I use, so I just call it an HDR image. So then... The
1: next question would be, so there's we have an HDR image and then there's the technique of single image HDR, because presumably if you're shooting raw, there's a latitude on that image of plus or minus several stops, you know, maybe one, two or more stops of uh, of information that you can access or develop to. Now, is it can you use that? Is that a viable way to create one of these kind of images that I'm looking at in your book?
3: yeah absolutely and that 's one of the most common questions I get is how do you make an HDR out of a single raw image? Uh, because normally uh, the normal way to make an HDR or the usual way is to take multiple exposures at different shutter speeds and then you combine those multiple pictures using a program like Photomatics to uh, create a, a final image. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but very commonly, you can also do it with a, a single RAW. Because like you said, that RAW file contains a lot of light information. I kind of refer to it in the book as a, a cube of light. And there's numerous examples in there of um, HDRs from a single RAW photo. There's, there's plenty of light to pull out of those to uh, to make a really satisfying image that's, a, that's more than a, a simple JPEG of that same scene.
1: Yeah. So, so what, which way is the right way to go? Should, should we, you know, if I go out tomorrow and I'm going to do an HDR image, should I just, you know, snap the shutter once or should I be the guy that locks it down on a tripod and does several images of the same scene?
3: Okay. Here's what you do. You go out and shoot uh, the scene with multiple exposures. Go ahead and take three or five shots from plus two to minus two. All right, now there's going to be movement in some cases. In some cases, there won't. Depends on the scene. If it's a landscape, there probably won't be much movement. But if there's people moving through it, there will be movement. Now, there's two things you can do, and I go through each technique. And it kind of depends on the situation, and it kind of depends on, you know, whatever you enjoy doing. Uh, One way is just to take your favorite RAW out of those five images and turn that into an HDR. That's fine. I often used to li- like to use more than, than one image. I use a lot, and I, I make a final HDR image, but then you end up with this ghosting with these people walking through it or a mm-hmm. bird flying or yeah. a, a tree in the breeze or whatever. And in that case, what I recommend is going into Photoshop, you have the final uh, tone-mapped image that comes out of Photomatix, and then you also have one of the original RAWs. And you have these as two layers in Photomatix. So you have the, the HDR on top and one of the original RAWs on bottom. And then I suggest you go mask the, the missing parts, right? You mask in the, the proper person or you mask in the, the best bird or whatever it might be. So you kind of do this situational masking to merge these two photos into one so that, uh, you know, it, it's, it looks like a consistent image. Got it. Got it. And all that's on your site, right?
1: That's They don't have to buy the book to get that all that information.
3: That's right. They can jump over to the site. Um, it's stuckincustoms.com slash HDR-tutorial. And uh, we've got it all laid out on there. Um, simple as can be.
1: Excellent. Now, here's a question that just came in on Twitter, uh, Trey. It's from Joseph Jed Ferguson. He wants to know, um, or, or he says, without backlighting, um, it never looks the same. So... How do you speaking specifically about printing? So how do you how do you print an HDR image?
3: Okay, well i not I don't agree with what he said at all. I've printed a lot of HDR images on paper, on canvas, and on metal, and they look stunning. They look very painterly. Uh, people come up to them, even people that are uh, fairly sophisticated in in art circles. And they kind of they almost scratch it sometimes they go, "Is this a painting? What is this?" So it already comes out quite textured and beautiful, and even when you put it on canvas, the canvas already has this sort of expectation of paint on the surface. so there's another layer of texture there that's very interesting, and the way the light catches it is uh, is very, very nice. so you do not have to have things backlit. Um, I've even started uh, experimenting recently with uh, metal, like printing on aluminum, high white gloss aluminum, and that is unbelievable. Some of that stuff makes it look like it's on a, a huge, you know, 48-inch monitor. It's, uh, it's, it's just beautiful. So when you see these things uh, printed out, as long as you use a, a decent printer, and there's so many great printers out there nowadays, I, I do all um, limited edition uh, numbered series through a company called Canvas Press. And those come out just looking unbelievable.
1: That was my next question. You beat me to it. I was going to ask you, do you print at home or do you send everything out?
3: No, I don't print at home. I, I admire those people that do print at home. That is uh, that is tough. And printing is a whole uh, area that I just don't know that much about. I can look at two images from, from various plate companies that are printed for me, and I can tell which one is better. Um, but I don't do it myself. It just, uh, there's a lot of expertise that I don't feel like I have in that area.
1: That's right. Just to, to close off talking about HDR specifically, there are, there's a lot of haters out there. I mean, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people that just get angry about HDR saying that it's this and it's that, and it's not real photography and it's overdone, and you know, whatever. You know, it's not tone mapping. It, it, the argument goes on and on and on. So, why, from your perspective, sitting kind of at the nexus of all this, why is there so much uh, venom out there about this particular technique?
3: Well, <laughs> I don't know if I sit at the at the nexus of all of it. I, I do catch a lot of spears for the for the <laughs> community and, and fight the good fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I you know there's so many great HDR photographers out there and I support uh, each and every one of them that's we started this thing called hdrspotting.com mm-hmm. and it's still in beta so it's invite only uh, there's some codes floating around out there uh, we'll open it up eventually but we're just still testing it and anyway so uh, we we want to have our own place where we can uh, hang out with each other you know it reminds me a lot of at the end of the 19th century, uh, the Impressionists uh, had a great deal of trouble getting their work uh, represented in the salons of, of Paris. Yeah. Uh, because traditionally, uh, the only kinds of paintings that were accepted were historical paintings that were extremely um, detailed and precise and would show the moral greatness of man by depicting great uh Greek heroes, French heroes, Roman heroes in various poses and whatnot. And so the Impressionists came along, and they were using, actually, modern technology of the day. At that point, around the 1860s, 1870s, they were able to take paints in metal tubes and take them out into the field with easels and paint the light when they saw it exactly how they saw it. Now, it was a totally different technology, totally different way of uh, of painting the world and seeing the light, and they were able to work with each other, you know, Monet, Kayabat, Manet, Renoir, these guys would compare notes, they'd go paint the same scenes, and they started their own salon, they called it, uh, it was basically, they went to this place called the uh, um, the Salon des Refusés, and they, ex- they uh, displayed their work together and eventually, the public caught on. They go, hey, this is, this is kind of nice. We don't, we don't know what this is, but it looks nice, and we quite like it. Mm-hmm. And the public ended up loving it so much that the French establishment had to let it in to the salon. And it became now one of the great art forms of, of, uh, of history. Now, I'm not saying that, that uh, HDR is, is of that magnitude, but it is very much like that, where there is an establishment and that establishment has a certain you know, monetary interest in things not changing. They, they see change as threat. Um, and there's, any, there's any number of personality flaws that get people very angry about something as innocent as art. Yeah. And so when people get upset about it, it says more about them than it does about us. We're just playing around and having a good time.
1: Yeah, yeah. that's really interesting. So when, when are you going to open that up, when it, the, the HDRSpotting.com site?
3: Uh, well, it's up and live now. Um, it should be uh, feature complete uh, here in the next uh, few weeks or few months. Uh, we add new stuff all the time. I think uh, the other reason that we started it out, frankly, is because so like I go look at my images on, on Flickr, right? And I get a lot of views. I think I have over 21 million views on Flickr. And then I go look at one of my friend's uh, photos, and he's like a great photo, or even a stranger. I see so many wonderful photos on Flickr, and they might only have, you know, 300 views or 30 views. I thought, that's not fair, you know. These are images that are really as good as mine, if not better. Why do I have so many views and they have so few? I think the economy is evolving, and money will always be around. But I think there's a new... Uh, currency, and that currency is attention. Hmm. And I don't know if Flickr does a good job of spreading that attention around in an appropriate way. So just like in capitalism, how wealth can be created, I think attention can be created. So everyone that's currently on HDR spotting now, they're getting hundreds or sometimes thousands of views, whereas before they used to just get dozens of views. So we're experimenting with these things called – uh, you know, internet attention engines that can intelligently create and distribute attention to new artists, get more people discovered. And I think that's... Uh, so I started out just sharing my techniques. Now I think there's a way to create and share attention for new and upcoming artists. And I, I think this is a very interesting and somewhat experimental area that we're going into.
1: That's really interesting. So, so social media or, or attention, how does that... You know, in in general, just speaking from a high level, how does that drive the stuff that you do, or does do this? Does the stuff that you do drive the social media?
3: Well, um, that's a good question. I don't really have any kind of silver bullet. I think, like a lot of people, I, I cobble it together um, as I go, and I experiment and fail, and and forgive myself, and try something new. Which, by the way, is my same philosophy towards uh, photography. Is the same thing I bring towards social media. And I have kind of uh, come up with a a system that seems to work pretty well, like on Twitter, for example, which is a a pretty good, um, you know, cross slice of what I do across all social media is I use a 33, 33, 33 um, strategy. Uh, 33% of my tweets are uh, to inspire people to find other artists or sometimes things outside of the uh, photography realm to give people ideas and get their creative juices flowing. Uh, The other 33% is I uh, introduce one person to another. I say, oh, you guys should follow this guy, or here's someone really interesting that you guys should be following, or or this sort of thing, because it's so much about the nature of connecting people. And the last 33% of it is I share my own work. I don't share it uh, because I'm... uh, you know, trying to over self-promote or anything. I think people can sense an over self-promoter in a second. Yeah. I share it because I just love it and I want people to see it and experience it. And, uh, you know, you can just sense that all the time when people put something up and they're just sharing it because they love it. You click on it. Wow, that's cool. You know, thanks for showing me. And uh, I, I think this uh, this strategy seems to work really well. And I see other people doing stuff just like this and it it just feels right
1: yeah well another twitter uh one of my twitter followers probably one of yours as well uh is a guy by the name of todd harder he says um where is it he says how has social media helped you or your photography you kind of answered that but i guess that's a little bit more specific
3: well it's been huge i can't imagine um what it would be like without social media. I we just we're having these book parties all over. We had one in Austin, we just had one in uh, New York and there's an upcoming one in Chicago. And uh you know, at one point I was kind of struck cuz I was sitting there in this room in 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 New York and there's people there from the New York Times and magazines and museums and galleries and a, whole, a ton of my fans are there and and I think you know all this is possible just because of the internet. You know, there's no way I would have ever been discovered, or had anyone see my work twenty years ago, forty years ago, a hundred years ago? And um, so, you know, without the internet and without uh, sharing and uh, just working with people, I none of this would have been possible. So, I, I, I you know, I, I, you know, thank you, internet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, you know, I want to I want to wrap it up because we're running short on time here. I don't want to keep you too long, but I, I have to ask you. I'm looking at your blog here, and it's like, I think it's like 1,200 pixels wide. It's got to be one of the <laughs> widest blogs that I follow, you know? So yeah. why is your blog so big? I mean, I'm looking at the images. They're big, giant, gorgeous images. So part one of my question, why is your blog and your newsletter, by the way, so wide? And then secondly, <laughs> when I roll over the images on your site... Um, you know, you have you actually encourage sharing them. You have a little drag to share thing on your H, on your WordPress blog. So why are you encouraging sharing your images that aren't even watermarked? So take it away. <laughs>
3: <laughs> All right. Well, that's that's two disparate subjects, but I'll I'll try to you know definitely answer both of them if I well, can. Start,
1: start with the wide the blog. You know, why okay. is the blog so
3: wide? So why is it so insanely wide? Well. Uh, <laughs> I decided to go after a fairly uh, technologically high end audience because I think that people that surf the internet and are interested in art they already have a good video card and they 've got a big monitor and they want to see big, beautiful art you know I think uh, the the Boston Globe is that the one that has the big picture block yes that 's great i mean it 's so and mine are exactly that width I think uh, my pictures are only nine hundred pixels across or so. And people like to see big pictures. You know, we've all got high bandwidth mostly, right? No one has dial-up anymore. So I don't worry about um, people that cannot access the site because they're not, they're not the target. Um, I, I'm much more interested in showing huge pictures to people with high bandwidth that appreciate um, real, seeing big stuff. Um, I, I actually get frustrated now when I go to other sites and... And I see something cool, but it's so small. I'm like, oh, I want to zoom in and see this thing bigger. I want to explore it and surf around it. And it's yeah. So I don't like seeing small stuff. Um, there's an adjunct to that in that I believe there's a proper way to view an HDR image. And I think that your eye physically needs to move around the image in order for your brain to accept all these light levels. Because, you know, when you're standing there on the scene... Your eye is moving around. You're building this patchwork quilt of various light levels and colors. And so it makes sense to your brain that all these light levels come in at once. And I think you need to emulate that experience physically by moving the viewer's eye around on the image. And you can't do that with that small default flicker size. All right. So that's part one. All right. Part Uh, part two. two,
1: Sharing, (laughs) you know, and why. Part two. You got these, you have these gigantic, gorgeous, 900-pixel-wide images on your site that aren't watermarked, and when I roll over them, it's, it's uh, asking me if I, how do I want to share it, or drag to share. So if I drag on it, uh, it's bringing me options up to share it in a number of ways, like on Facebook, Twitter, Yahoo, email, etc. Aren't you afraid people are going to steal your work?
3: Uh, no, I, I do not you know, uh, live in this state of fear. Um, I think that sharing art is the path to success and, and the way of the future. I have zero hesitation about this. Um, I think the nature of everything on the Internet is changing. So here's essentially my, let's see if I can wrap up the philosophy here, because I know this is very different than a lot of photographers um, oh, yeah. who are uh, very, very worried about copyright and, and this and that. You know copyright is getting to be a really slippery issue it 's very hard to talk about now. Um, now, I make these images they 're mine to do with as I please. I do all creative comments, no commercial use without uh, contacting us so that means anyone can share my image on their blog they can make uh, they can make it their desktop wallpaper all this really innocent stuff that's that 's just great because what happens is it gets spread all over the place. It, uh, they end up linking back to my site. That's sort of a requirement of, of uh, Creative Commons. They have to give credit and link back. And so that builds up huge um, Google trust, right? We're moving into this world of trust agents. Yep. And I believe that uh, uh, as more and more people link back, this becomes a trusted site for beautiful art. And it just increases SEO power. So like I said before, when we have these uh, sort of mid-level marketing people doing Google searches, my stuff comes up very high because the Internet trusts me. Um, so th- I think that's a, that's a very important point. Now, of the let's say we have a, a pie. Like if you're looking at a pie chart, okay, and there's a, the 100%, right? I think that 95% of people will always consume this stuff for free. Uh, they never pay for anything. And I think that's okay because they're enjoying the art and they're getting pleasure out of it, and I'm, I'm happy to do that for them. Yeah. 5% of people will typically uh, either buy it or find a way to give you money. Uh, they're either buyers of small or mid-sized companies. Uh, they might want to print, whatever it is. So the bigger you can grow that pie, you know, if you get hundreds of thousands or millions of people, then that 5% grows. Now, there's a little area, about 0.5% that will steal it, okay? They will steal it and use it for surreptitious purposes. Now, I I say that's the cost of doing internet business. Um, now, my wife disagrees with me on that, and uh, we, we have some healthy discussions on that. <laughs> but uh, I think that that 0.5% that's stealing stuff, they would have never been a customer anyway. They never would have bought it. I never could have talked them into paying me for it. And, you know, if it is egregious, uh, we go after them, absolutely. But it's also been our experience that legitimate companies do not steal, right? Name any company that you can think of. They're not going to go out and steal an image. It's just uh, – it's unconscionable. Well, yeah. So it's bad PR
1: all- and it's it's bad karma and, and everything else. And you don't want <laughs> – as a company, you don't want That's your right. name in the news as the company that stole this thing and have your product associated with theft going forward, right?
3: That's right. And if they do, it creates a nice little uh, PR boost for me, <laughs> frankly. you know. yeah. yeah. Right, so uh, um, so I don't worry about that that zero point five percent. I'm I'm concerned about the the ninety five percent of people that are enjoying it for free, and the five percent of people that might want to put some money into it.
1: All right, Trey, where we where can people go to find out more about you, about HDR, and and just you know start absorbing this stuff and, and getting getting started in it.
3: Uh, I keep everything at StuckInCustoms.com. That's one stop shopping for everything. Um, and or they can follow me on Twitter. I'm Trey Ratcliffe, T R E Y R A T C L I F F.
1: Excellent, Trey. Thank you so much for uh, for taking the time out of your evening to chat with me. This is uh, it's been informative. I'm gonna curl up and uh, and read a world in HDR tonight and uh, continue my <laughs> journey into this world. You know, you're yeah. You, I have to be honest. I I have not taken one. HDR photo ever yet. Um, My mission over the holidays is to do that, and I'm going to share it with you, and you can tell me how bad I screwed up.
3: (laughs) (laughs) No, don't worry about it. One of the best uh, little secrets about HDR is even when you get started on your very first HDR, you're going to come out with something that is pretty darn satisfying. You'll surprise yourself about how easy it is, how little time it takes, how cheaply you can do it. And how satisfied you are with the results. And that'll give you enough juice to iterate on it, keep trying, and get better over time. Thanks a lot, Trey. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Fred. Bye.
1: So it was Trey Radcliffe. You can find him at stuckincustoms.com. We'll put the interview, we'll put the, uh, the URL in the show links. Are You laughing at stuck in customs? No, because you've Joseph, been stuck in jo- customs, haven't you? Oh,
0: many times. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, but, but but I think we have we have uh, stuck in customs, and then we have uh, Joseph's uh, confessions of a travel junkie. Yeah, yeah, and then you wrote a book on traveling. I did global mobile. I did. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. Well, once you what what happens is you 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 accumulate all of these uh, these little weird little tricks. Um to get through travel and there's part of you that wants to tell everyone and then there's part of you that doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, we were just
2: traveling back from Vancouver and uh I was having to like act like shepherd for my wife and she was getting a little resistant. I was like, Just trust me, like do this. Go you know, go to these folks here, check your bags here, pay them this much. Why? Let's just go inside. No.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 D bad the, the little tips. Tips you know, and tricks. You always just want to go D bad. Mm-hmm. Don't be a dork, <laughs> you, know, you know. And and, yep. and and people are so dorky when they're doing. And and my wife and I, we 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 do great on road trips. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we can't. We can almost not fly. Again. When I'm traveling, Actually, I go into school it, of fish mode. Can I can I point out one quick travel
2: tip for those who might be please, going to the Olympics, photographers? Please. Yes. Um, Don't bring your camera. Well. Uh, flying back there's a new level of paranoia going on now it took us like three and a half hours to get through security and customs no carry on bags cameras are allowed but you can't bring bags so like you have to like carry your gear loose so check everything except for your bodies and then I think you you do this trick too wear like an overcoat and shove stuff in your overcoat pockets because they just won't let you do bags like we had no bag at all I had to be smaller than a sheet of paper and, like, this thick. And if you're traveling with kids, stuff a few diapers on top because, like, it was I kid stuff in it. Like, I shoved it. So nothing? You can't even carry? No, you can't carry. I had to carry my laptops in a sleeve, and I, I checked most of my stuff except for a camera body and Ooh. just had to pack my lenses and go, I hope the people, you know. The good news is, is that the Ship people it. going through the bags, I don't know. I don't want to make, like, a blanket statement, but theft in Canada seems to be less of a problem than, say, theft at LaGuardia. Mm, so, right. Wow. But I didn't realize. I thought you could take a bag with the... Wow. Maybe, it, you it, need maybe, to maybe, maybe, maybe they're Ship finessing stuff. it. You should check. Yeah, shipping is one thing too, but you should definitely check. We flew on the second day of the new policies, and it was wacko. Yeah. So if you are going up
0: to the Olympics... Because domestic flights, I found that... It, you know, this is good for photographers. This, isn't this is one. only going back. It's not going to right, Canada. No, and, d- and domestic flights, it's completely unchanged. Like it, t- it took to me Vegas. about a half hour longer to get through security yesterday. Mm. Wow. Yeah, for me, it's just been... Like, we went, we went to But Vegas. I always get flagged. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, Richard, Richard, just closing off our discussion on the, the whole App Store stuff and everything, yeah. uh, I have a, a hypothetical have question for you. I You do, don't you? <laughs> Sorry, you, you set me up. Like you good. do, <laughs> but you can could, you could tell me about that app after I ask, ask sure. this question. <laughs> um, when I was working with Adobe, I got a lot of comments from folks about Photoshop and how it's Yeah, grown into like the multi headed Hydra Medusa, whatever, Mm -hmm. trying to be all things for all people. Do you think it makes sense maybe in this future world that we were talking about before the interview to have a like a DNA level version of Photoshop that only does like the basic stuff? And then as you need features? you could purchase them maybe like if you needed to do 3D maybe you could purchase
2: 3D kind of have that along the product line now i mean it's a little bit confusing for folks but you're already seeing that in app store apps like the tiffin apps for example for the iphone mm-hmm. as you want certain filters you can unlock them as in-app purchases
1: but i want that in photoshop yeah. i want i want to be able to buy photoshop yeah. for 100 bucks or 99 bucks and then all called I, elements <laughs> if i no no it it is right. but you're not supposed to talk about it. But <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But I want it for 99 bucks. But then I want to be able to, if I decide, hey, I need some After Effects type. Hey, I need CMYK. I'll pay 150 for that. Something. <laughs> yeah, just little things as you need them instead of paying for this gigantic warehouse worth of features and only using one small box. I don't think the bean counters will let them,
2: but I do think you're seeing that, like, um, you know, we're seeing different. Or the engineers. Yeah. It's, it's,
0: it's no minor. You, 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 so, um, I've thought about They'd that. They'd have to a lot. redo it. They'd have to rewrite it. I thought about that a lot. Right and we're we're looking at building some applications that that you basically want to make sure that it's a small core. Mm-hmm. And then not only can you add stuff, but you can have SDKs and let other people add stuff, even users Absolutely. add stuff. Yeah, And 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 the, the the issue is is that you really have to think about that when you write the first line of code because you have to it build, you how you build that looks completely different. iTunes is really simple because it's so basically HTML. Mm-hmm. It gets real complicated when you want. I'm have sure it those iTunes developers appreciate that. And, and I think you're sort of seeing. <laughs> Sorry, it's not, I, not know, that simple. It's not that simple, but I'm just saying that it's not. It's not Photoshop either, right? You know, and, right. and, and, and so it's, it's not an
1: operating system yeah. worth of code.
0: Yeah. I, I think you're sort of seeing that where
2: you know there's been a bit of a change. Like the last version of Photoshop had features come out. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're seeing that with other software companies Apple took features out of iWork for example I write on that product and I notice things come out so we're seeing this new movement of let's streamline and let's pull things out to make things easier Mm -hmm. Photoshop already has that ability to create and have like dumbed down menus where you only see certain menus you could either choose from presets so I think, you know, to equate what Alex is saying, you know, it's really difficult from a developer's point, but from a user interface point, they are trying to simplify programs down.
1: Yeah, I think, but st- I think it's not enough, though. I think it, instead of – I think when they started Photoshop – and I'm just hypothesizing and talking of the side really of my are. neck here. <laughs> but, you know, you start Photoshop and you build this application and it grows and grows and grows because people are asking. And you're right. building, oh, people want this and people want that. So you put it in the next release and it grows. You end up with this behemoth. So I think right. – Wouldn't it be cool if you just erased the whiteboard and started and said, we're going to build – like Alex said, we're going to build this core piece, and then if you need – something else because it's long tail stuff right it's chris anderson long tail stuff if you need you buy this core piece for cheap and if you are the the one percent of the market is asking for this particular feature set there's an app for that
0: if they were going to do it now, would
2: be the time because they've been rewriting so much for 64 bit well
0: in my my opinion though is that you know and i i talked to um so if, if if he's listening, I don't, I don't you know, I'm not going to mention his name because I don't, I don't, I think it's fine, but I, I just don't want to get into, I don't want to do a name drop on it. it mm-hmm. I talked to someone who was very integral to Photoshop, <laughs> mm-hmm. and um, you know, a long time ago, and uh, uh, and one of the things that he was talking about that I thought was a really good idea was the, um, you know, maybe you just start, you start over, you write a whole new app, but the thing is, is this, it, it, I was, I was talking about something else today, and and, and it was like you you, you want to enter creating a new application with all the wisdom. Of your experience mm-hmm. but not all the baggage of your experience yeah and right. so the thing is is that you go in going okay we're going to write the code from scratch but we're going to take full advantage of gpus we're going to take full advantage of, of all this other stuff to make it super fast you know when we uh, uh, kind of did that with premiere pro in many ways by genesis in the past
2: kind of kind of but I, I i think that the problem with that is that You know, as power users or, in your case, a developer, we all want that, except consumers don't want to buy that. They say they do, but they don't. The thing Mm -hmm.
0: is is that the the issue is is that you build an app that is designed maybe even just for – you know, it's just this this little app that has simple features – that consumers can use and, and professionals mm-hmm. use, you put it out for free, and then the next version you charge fifty dollars, and the yeah. next ch- version you charge a hundred dollars, and you keep right. on adding pieces to it. And you yeah. Ten years from now, it's the replacement for Photoshop, but it's not the replacement right now. Which is yeah. you know, well, it, have you ever looked at Pixelmator? I mean, they're they're kind of doing. They that. are, but the problem yeah. the problem with Pixelmator is is they based it on somebody else's code again. They didn't. It's not sure. clean code, so they're never going to be able to. The problem is is they're never going to. They will always be Tiedadal. A fifty nine dollar. Well, for those, those who no, don't no, know not. what it is, what, what is Pixelmator? It's a great little app.
2: It's it's a an image editor that you know is really 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 fast supports layers and has a lot of photoshop like functionality it's not photoshop but it's a it's an interesting alternative if you're sitting there struggling between photoshop elements and no. something else this
1: isn't an online app like like mm-hmm. picnic right this is, no, this no, no, is a downloaded there's, there's
0: two applications that you can look at in those areas there's there's acorn yep um, and and, um, and pixelator and, and both of them are great, um, I, and I don't remember Acorn's the base code for Acorn, but I know with, with Pixelmator that the issue is, is that it's based on some open source code, so they, they put a great interface on some, some other core elements that they, that they couldn't write, and, and that's fine. The issue is, is, that, is that Adobe doesn't need to do that. Adobe has all the engineers. You know, they have all the processing engineers that they need. They could back up and whiteboard it, you know, and, and, and get the people and, and rewrite the code from the ground up to be exactly what they want. You know, right. exactly and make it make – it, because they have the patents. They have the people. They have the resources. And we're not talking about having 100 people working on this. We're talking about, you know, at the beginning, the right. first year, the first two years, you have three people working on it. You know, because you want a unified design, a unified thought, thought process. And then, as it grows, you you grow the team, but the thing is is that because what 's going to happen is – it's you see the Star Trek where um, there's the guys that aren't on the planet I just say
2: yes because I've probably
0: seen them all, but so there's the Star Trek where there's the folks on the planet and they haven 't aged, and then there's their mm-hmm. like the people that left the planet yep. and they have this machine that kind of stretches their skin to keep it you know keep it because they 're so old you mm-hmm. know they just keep on stretching their skin yep. and there's like little parts that are ripping now on their on their face and everything else that's what that's what a lot of the code that we're looking at whether it's Maya or or mm-hmm. um, so uh, you're saying or Photoshop mobile or, might evolve into the next version of Photoshop I don't think no because I, I don't think that and I know that there's an opinion that it might be online but the problem is I don't you know I don't think that I think it's going to be a long time before we, we we want to really do everything online. And the problem is is that you're forced into a standard that is not particularly useful.
2: No, I do not I don't mean photoshop.com. I meant the the mobile version of Photoshop for smartphones.
0: Maybe, but but the problem is I I don't know if the smartphones are that are, are ten, I mean and that's hard to say. I mean, it, it it could be. I mean, it could but I think that I mean, I think the closest um the closest uh Idea related to this would probably be iMovie where you completely rethink how you're going to do it. and You keep on building stuff mm-hmm. and you get real clear when you look at what they're doing with iMovie. It doesn't do everything Final Cut does, but right. it's not limited to let's make it less than Final Cut.
2: Well, don't you think in some way, though, that Lightroom was a stab at that? You know, hey, we had Photoshop. We had Bridge. You know, there's a new market out here that's big enough. Let's create a product that's for a specific market. Because Photoshop is for everyone. I mean, I write about Photoshop for video people and Photoshop for web
0: folks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's got all these tools that photographers don't need. But I guess what I would say is i get back to what Fred was talking about, which is that make a core app yeah. that, that that is general. yeah, And then let people... Clump on the, the the photography parts, or mm-hmm. clump on the the 3 d parts or clump yeah. on the video parts my the, photoshop, the you know, let me make my photoshop the,
2: the modules certainly worked. I mean I think what you 're seeing there and maybe what you 're asking for is the idea that you know like an iPhone comes with a core set of apps and then you add the ones you want, and maybe mm-hmm. you add the fifty dollar navigation or you add the two dollar game um, yeah. you know we certainly have a plug in market and great stuff that 's made for Photoshop, but over time. Um,
1: Adobe and this is true with every company.
2: Oh, that's a great plugin. Oh, let's roll that core functionality in. You know, mm. like, well, what if, but what you're
1: if, still you're still buying the space shuttle when all you really wanted was you know
0: a, a little a little sailboat or sailship. What, what if the company? Know? What if the what? The thing is, is that Adobe does that because because well they already do that in some extent with extended. Well, yeah, but, but you want 3D, pay more. But, <laughs> yeah. but Adobe, but also Adobe does that and Apple does that because they're not making money on the plugins. See, Apple doesn't do that. Apple doesn't have any vested interest in adding more functionality to the iPhone, you know, other than the base ones that it's already playing with because it makes 30% off of every sale. Right. If I was was today's uh, software manufacturer and I looked at what Apple was doing, what I would do is I would write a new Photoshop as Adobe. And I'd say, here's the deal. There's core functionality. You want to do a convolution kernel? We're going to accelerate that with GPU. We're going to do all these other things. We're going to, you know, oh, sorry, a convolution <laughs> kernel is anything like a blur. Okay. Thank uh, so you. blur, uh, any, anything that processes pixels. I'm spinning the propeller yeah. on my head. Sorry. Because you knew what that was too, right? All right. So <laughs>
1: no this is way. really bad when I'm the least geeky person well, in the room. He's going to get into the flux capacitor in a minute. No, no. So,
0: so, if, but Does so, that so, concatenate? Yeah, exactly. No, that doesn't. That's the whole problem. So anyway, so the uh, there's tachyon build up on the hull, Captain. So to <laughs> screw you. That's all I gotta say. Screw you. Screw you and the horse you've in on. Anyway, so she
1: can't take anymore, Alex. Alright, so give it her, else she's done. here's the
0: thing, is that is that Adobe, you know, if if I was writing it if I was writing this stuff, um and I'm not, so I you know, I don't know, but but the thing is is that the If I own Photoshop. If I own Photoshop, if I was my, if it was all me. The thing is is that I would worry about the core. And I'd build services yeah. to the core. So here's the thing is that if you use this type of code, and Apple does this. Yeah. It's called core animation, core yeah. video, yep. core yep. image. Give them the tools. Okay, I'm going to give you a bunch of tools that if you use them, I mean you look at what core animation does, it's what make keynote it's part of what makes keynotes so right. freaking cool is the keynote and, and that you and you can write a code that's Which just is says, great for slideshows. I understand. But the thing <laughs> is is you can hand you can hand uh, people the base functionality so when you do this it's going to be super fast and you don't have to know how to do it you know we're going to write that for you we're going to make it super stable work on many platforms we're going to do all that stuff but that's what we do the other thing we're going to do is we're going to build a store application so that a plug-in manufacturer doesn't need to ever think about their own uh, you know distributing their own software right yeah. so you can buy it well, in adobe the application has that with the Adobe marketplace, but it 's not fully realized right so the well, yeah. but the idea is that but but the, th- the problem is is that when adobe what Adobe, what I would do is take full control over it, like what apple 's doing I know people complain about it, but that 's what you know the thing is is it would be like you have to go through a process to get it in there right, and we get thirty percent of everything that's sold, and then there is no vested interest for the for the Adobe or the Apple or whatever to Ever run over you because they're making money on you as it is, mm-hmm. you know. And so the thing is, is that showstoppers. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they, yeah. They, they, you're you're making, you know, all at, they. Owning that marketplace and just and all they have to do is refine the core and refine the SDK and refine the API so that it's easy for everyone to build on it. You so, know? as I want a new
2: slideshow module or a new output module, or if I need to add a particular image type, like wow, yep. I you know, or I want more HDR functionality, yep. I could purchase that.
0: Yep. you purchase it, and, and, and that's they, what I
1: want right there.
0: And what and all they do is they they are the gatekeeper. You know, mm-hmm. they make sure that it's stable. They make sure that it's going to work. They make sure that it's going to you know, it's not going to hack your system. And and their rules are probably would be for this kind of application would be much simpler than than the iPhone rules, which yeah, is right. you know it's not a branding issue as much as it is. You know, but you can't you know. And so the idea is is that that's all they worry about. And so they they simply and and people, I think the people would glop onto that. And you could buy bundles, like you could buy the. The pseudo Photoshop version, which basically is the big behemoth for six hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. But yep. you could download the this, this light core, yeah. you know, for free. Yep. And then start adding things onto it. One all time. we're really I, I talking mean,
1: about I, here is what Chris Anderson was talking about in the long tail, you yeah. know? So be, being all things, to all people and being able to serve micro niches effectively right. so that right.
2: we can go from like, cause Photoshop Elements is a really robust program in many ways. I mean, it does everything from supporting great browsing and raw. It has the same raw engine as Lightroom and mm-hmm. Photoshop, but there's some gaping holes like, Oh, I can't do four color. Yeah. Um, you know, I can't do these certain things. Yep. If I could purchase those no, as I went along, yeah. That'd be fine. You know, so I don't have to go from $100 to $700 that I can go 100 to $250. And exactly. I can, that and then that you was expand why Firm your market did so and- well was the idea, I mean, on the video side, that I could get in for a lower price. I didn't have to drop 40000 like I would on an Avid. Mm-hmm. So it's the same idea that we can get more people to move forward from
1: Lightroom or Photoshop
2: if you could add things as you went along
1: then you own the space right you yeah. own the space like apple is owning with with the iTunes store many uh, would argue that adobe kind of owns the imaging space but they do they're not. they do they're safe. vulnerable though but they do but if if they i'm just saying and not that i'm you know I'm some sage and i know what their marketing plan should be but i'm just speaking from what i want as a user yeah. i would love to just be able to have that framework and only buy the pieces I want as I need them, and then have it have my Photoshop or my imaging app or whatever be exactly the set of features that I need. And if something comes along and I get this wild hair that now
0: I want to do this thing, I can go to their little store, buy that feature,
1: and start doing that. Well, and thing. Especially,
0: and the thing is, is that if I'm there are so many times where if if I didn't have to do any research, like if I could just search inside the app like I did with iPhone, with mm-hmm. iTunes, mm-hmm. buy the plugin that I wanted, buy whatever I. Buy whatever I wanted there um, and and then not even have to quit the app and just have it running. You know, like that That plugin is now part of it. You know, the thing is, is that there's a lot of people that would be buying a lot of stuff. I buy a lot of iTunes apps that way. I mean, yep. you know, or, or iPhone apps that way.
1: So, Richard, uh, a few minutes ago, you mentioned that you had an iPhone application out there. Mm-hmm. What is it? Does it? Is it is it software as a service that I can go ahead and start <laughs> manipulating video and all that cool stuff? No, it's a, it's a training app on Photoshop. We did
2: two. Uh, it's called Understanding Photoshop. And there's a quick fixes one and there's one called shoot, Shooting Panos, and uh, we're trying it out. It's a way, I wanted a way to take beyond some of the podcasting stuff we do, because we put a lot of Photoshop and Aperture podcasts out there. Mm-hmm. And so it's a concentrated hour to hour and a half video with hands-on files. So like in the Shoot Panos one, for example, I teach you all about you know how to set up the camera, shoot panos, merge them together, make them interactive, print them, everything. And then along the way, there's uh, interactive quizzes, and you get the same files, plus you can actually, it has an ebook on it, so when you're out shooting, I've got notes on how to set up your camera or what things you should be doing in the field. So it was a way to sort of, you know, I see a lot of photographers don't have that stuff with them, and in my mind, the production and the post-production have just sort of merged. Like, you can't be a great photographer if you don't know what you're gonna do with the images afterwards. Right. And so, you know, while you're traveling, I want you to be able to sort of look at this and know what can I, quote, fix in post, or what can I do with the images when they're done, and, Cover how I should be shooting these things in the first place. So, you know, I came to Photoshop and digital imaging more from the post side, and I've gotten into photography more and more over the last years. And I always believe that you got to have both sides of your brain going.
1: Yeah. Now, is the app dynamic? Is is mm-hmm. does content change in there all the time?
2: Uh, all the time, no. But uh, we have added new content, and one of the cool things about the the app is that we don't actually have to go through the iTunes Store to update it. So we could push new videos to it without having to go through iTunes, as long as you got a web connection. Oh, very cool. So you know, we've put some new things in there. We'll add some more. Um, But that's been fun, and you know the the challenge now, of course, is finding the magic price point because the iTunes store is sort of the race to the bottom. That's the other thing on the software side that's going to have to kind of change. It's really hard to be a developer when people balk at paying
1: $4 for 90 minutes of training. Right, right. Yeah. Well, it's sort of bringing everything down, right? It should be free. (laughs) Information wants to be free no matter how much you paid to create it. Yes, yes.
0: (laughs) But I bought – I think I've I've bought – well, and I'm not—I'm probably not the typical cross section, but—but the you know I've spent the most I've spent is $99 for TomTom on my iPhone, and I, and I and I think that the one—the well, one thing I'll say is if something's less than about 399 dollars yeah, I don't even think about it. Like if I—if I'm interested in it, I don't really Nipples. call the person. And, and you got to get—I—I'm on Mac break. I can make a phone call and someone will send me a, the coupon code and I'll get it for free. Mm-hmm. It's more trouble at three ninety nine, three ninety nine yeah. or less, or actually,
2: really for me, about five. Okay, for or less. you, it's ninety nine. I'll sell you one for 90
1: <laughs> Right. <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> Speaking of that, and I'm going to put you on the spot here, Richard. So what about the This Week in Photography audience? Do you want um, to give them a discount on the thing since they're listening and they, they suffered through iTunes, though, Well, can. I could okay. change the price, though. You can change the price. When's
2: this episode come out?
1: Um, Wednesday.
2: Wednesday. Of this okay. week. So for the next seven days... Uh, normally they're still pretty cheap so if alex would you if we did a twip special and we ran them both for 199 each would that be a good special that would yeah be so and it's just it's for everybody but it's yeah it's for the world it's for everybody but, but, but twip people, people will hear about it yes. first but you hear it here so just yeah just search for understanding that. photoshop and they'll both look come can up me see twisting uh, the arms of that! the co-host saving we're money for at, the listeners we're looking out for the listeners
0: yes. Yes. let see, me so. make a little note to myself to lower the price on wednesday send me an email to confirm that and then i'll twitter it too and so i appreciate that will we'll let it go.
1: So I'm so glad we had this time together. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we, can I talk about the thing I've been doing a lot? You can talk about the thing you've been
2: doing a lot. Uh, we've been working on a new book and documentary called From Still to Motion. And so for the last six months, we've been uh, working on a music video and an EPK project using these new digital SLR cameras. EPK. Uh, electronic press kit for a musician so gotcha. it's sort of like a mini documentary okay. and uh, we've also been talking to other photographers using it for fashion and nature photography and other things but we've done a whole book that's sort of camera ag- agnostic but focuses on teaching uh, photographers how to make video. And so it covers everything from the pre-production and the planning and which gear to bring all the way through the editing and the distribution. But instead of it just being a book, um, Peach Pit stepped up to the plate. It's coming with hours of video. So it's like a full, it looks like a coffee table book, like a lot like Joe McNally's moment of clicks, beautiful pictures behind the scenes, what's happening. Practical advice, but then you've got a, a DVD 9 filled with hours of video and the same files that we shot. So you can actually re edit the music video yourself. We're going to give you all the clips that we made the finished product mm-hmm. and the finished sequence. So it's like we completely took the mystique of the production process, and we dumped it. And I wrote it with three other authors. So we've got a colorist who does the post-production. We've got a DP who shoots for National Geographic, Discovery, and HBO. Got a great camera tech and AC. And then I, I follow the role of director-producer. And we just sort of take everything we know. So cumulatively, there's about 60 years' experience there, and wow. we cram it into like a case study and then not only do you read about it but we give you everything that we actually created so you could then remix it yourself and play oh, with it. Oh,
1: that's great.
2: So it's a, it's a, it's an experiment of like so it's it's a DVD and a book in one package. And um, what I'm it's most like interested de- in
1: deconstructing something that you you see. Well, I wonder how they did that. Well, here here are all the puzzle pieces. Yeah, and here's how us, we did it. And here's, here's the exact how we do ingredients. It. And mm-hmm.
2: now, if you want to play with it, like we'll give you the edited music video sequence as a Final Cut or Premiere project with all the footage. Right. And there's commentary tracks from the director, the DP, the director of photography, mm-hmm. the colorist, the editor, explaining how they approached it. And then we turn you loose, and you can play with it yourself and try. So creating. when you're
1: done, you know how to build that that project, and you have that, those, that set of tools added to your tool, bill. Yeah, and it's not just for music videos, but a, a music video and a, a, a
2: mini-doc, the, the EPK, is just is great for a lot of folks. It has interviews, it has behind-the-scenes, it has performance. You know, but we talk to folks who are wedding videographers and event videographers and photojournalists and filmmakers, and yeah. they're profiled in the book, too. We just said, you know, hey, if we're going to go deep on a project, let's at least do it on something that's got a little bit of art to it and is interesting, but uh, it's in the throes of just about being done. We've got three chapters left to finish. They're gonna start, it's going to come out in March, and it's been a six-month project. We literally had a documentary video crew follow us around and a documentary photographer. So at any given point, one time we had nine cameras shooting. Wow,
1: so how much is how much is this going to set us back? I
2: think it's a fifty nine dollar list. I'm not hundred percent positive. And you'll do a, a, a great d- deep
1: discount for the Twip on. Yeah,
2: th- No, they'll 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 send over a thirty five percent discount with free shipping okay, um, right. as soon as
1: the book's announced. So they'll remind us, remind us, and we'll uh, we'll insert that into a show
0: and let the Twip listeners go. They can go let them know they can go grab it.
2: Yeah, And it's a hundred percent based on um, from the photographer's perspective. So, well, that's great
0: because I think a lot of people are listening to us, and part of their frustration that we keep on talking about is they're scared of it. They they don't know where to start. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to get started. And and you and I just have to say, I know people are, are tired of me talking about this, but you ha- if you are a still photographer, you ha- unless you are like at at Joe McNally slash you know like like that, I mean unless you are doing heavy heavy photography, yep. you need to pay attention to video or you will be run over. Yeah. You know the thing is, you this is not going to be a career if you're if you're anywhere but the top point oh one percentile photographers. Everything else below that is going to be. You need to be able to do all these things. You need to add this to your quiver because everyone coming up is going to have it, and you know everyone's going to yeah. be offering that. I mean, if you look I, at I've, like
2: I've taught in art schools, and you know I saw people who were photographers. Like one of my students won the Photoshop Guru Award for his photography. He's a motion graphic artist. He also right. has directed independent films and does music videos on the side. To them, you know. Oh, and he can make websites. You know, to them, <laughs> it's just communication. And he's actually, well, incredibly talented. Um, he is the standard. You know, the, he yeah. is the high end of the standard. But
0: for the folks coming up, it's not about what and, genre or medium and, is it. It's just content. And, and the other thing is, is that I would say that the time to do this, the time to do the conversion, is not when it's become the standard. <laughs> You know, the thing is, is that right. when, because once it's become the standard, it's commoditized and there's no money for the ramp up, the, those of us in it now are charging a premium or can charge a premium because like, for instance, still motion CA and mm-hmm. you, I'm sure you know still motion CA, right? The, these guys that do, they do, um, they shoot your wedding, for, um, for your, their, your wedding, mm-hmm. but then they also, I, I, they also do the video right. and the video is stunning, right? You know, stunningly good. And they're doing like 5d and you know, all kinds of other stuff. So I don't know what they're charging for it, but I can, I can guarantee that they're, it's a premium. Yeah, you know, and because and there's only a handful of clients that can afford it right now. But those handful of clients paying a premium for it um, is paying for all their R and D, is paying for all their gear, is paying for all. And that's what you don't get when you come in at the tail end. Right when you come in on the front end, and that's why we keep on talking about it here. Is when you get in on the front end, you can charge extra because you're the only one doing it.
2: And if you're a photojournalist, this is a huge opportunity because I'm a lot of my friends who are photojournalists. The ones that are keeping their jobs at the newspapers are the ones that are able to create the video content for the website. Yeah. You know, look at like WashingtonPost.com. And then you're also seeing a lot of people who are commercial photographers who are suddenly getting opportunities to create commercials for the web. You know, you're shooting my product. Why not also create something for the web? And well, why can't we have somebody talking or hear some music? You know, I'm always amazed like the number of photographers who resist video, but then spend all this effort to make these beautiful slideshows with music and timing and motion and
1: dissolves and transitions. It's like
2: it's sort of like saying, well, you know, I'm so close, but I don't want to take that last little step.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think the the part of the the danger and that I worry about, maybe it's just me getting older, is like you like you guys are saying we're transitioning into being multimediographers, right? Yes. Where it's just media and we're capturing it and, re, and mixing it up and, and giving it to our client. We're the storyteller. But what I worry about is is people becoming generalists and mm-hmm. creating mediocracy. Yeah, so being the the yeah. jack of all trades and the master of none of them and putting out substandard work whereas if they focused on being the best
0: photographer or videographer I, I, I they that, could I be. The, here's the thing. The only thing I'll say about that though is that the amount of difference. This is this is what photographers have to get. The amount of difference between a photographer and a videographer is about 10%. They think it's like 90%. Yeah, And it really is – the way you light is very similar. The way you frame is very I, I'd similar. I'd have to disagree with because
1: I, I think, yeah, it's – there's some similarities, but I think that overlap is 10% because there's – when you're still a still photographer, yeah, it's lighting, it's composition, it's exposure, it's all that stuff. But on the videographer side, it's all that stuff plus your audio and, and storytelling yeah. and – and storage needs and all this stuff that comes into play. Whereas if you just, you're going to do some photography, see, you grab guess, your DSLR and see, go out and shoot. I see all of
0: that as the audio, notwithstanding the other stuff. Mm-hmm. I think is 10 percent because the thing that that makes a great videographer, a great photographer, is their eye. It's mm-hmm. you know, and that is so hard to develop or find or have. And having or a lot of money to buy the gear to get it right. Yeah, but you get thing. you get a fi- you know the thing is I'm shooting so much video now with my 5D and 70s, you yeah. know, and that that it is. Um, but the thing is, I just noticed that the only thing, the main thing I have to tell a photographer when they, when they walk up to the camera is s- just settle down the camera. Right. Cause what they, what they do is they're, they're s- know, learning you're, how to sequence the shots and well, actually piece them together. And how long should each shot be is difficult. Well, I'm thinking about a still, you're taking this great still yeah. and like a photographer, you're, you're waiting for that thing to happen. And then you capture that moment Right. as a videographer, you are, you, you hold the button down Right. and you're capturing a, a longer moment. Right. You know, and so the thing is is what you have to get that you have to still think about keeping you what what the biggest problem we get into when we ta- have a great photographer take a camera is they start moving the camera on all cuz they're reframing, 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 reframing rather than letting letting the scene motion happen occur right. in front of them. You yeah. know, that's something that that's what that's the number one thing we have to train people in. Don't yeah.
2: follow, you know. Let the action happen in front of in the you, frame. And then, you know, either, yeah, so we, we take two different approaches with these types of cameras that are difficult for photographers. One approach is you either need to have a lot of these cameras, you know, and run two or three or four of them at the same time, which is great because you already have all these lenses in your bag, anyways, and the bodies are relatively cheap. Or you need to learn to repeat action and sequence it, uh, which is a difficult thing. You know, like a lot of photographers are uncomfortable directing their subjects unless they work with models or, you know, portraits. So I think that that's a challenge for them. The other thing, I, I, I sort of agree with both of you, there is a lot of overlap between them. The other thing that a lot of photographers have to learn to accept is that, you know, if you're a photographer and you were shooting stills, you wouldn't also want to lay out the magazine or run the printing press. Correct. So you have to be able to step back and go, just because it's a computer and I got all the software on one machine doesn't mean I have to do it all. Mm -hmm. You know, we encourage a photographer to say, hey, you know, let's go, this is how you sort through your footage, let's make some selects, here's how you do a rough cut. And you know what? You can hire a really good editor for $400 a day or 450 a day to come in and finish your piece or you strung it right. out. And you go shoot and make three times that being yeah. out there shooting. And do the stuff
0: you love doing. And, and hire and, someone to and handle the audio. You know, it, yeah. or, or how does and build it up, yeah. but it's and it's a lot of the stuff is there are things and and we're going to be covering a lot more of this in in future, not as far as Twit, but uh, other teamwork. shows that we're working on. Yeah. But but it is having other people, you know, and knowing how you fit into that pipeline, yeah. building a virtual team, which yeah. which applies to a lot of stuff, not just just your
1: photography pipeline, right. but in, yeah. in a video world, the photographer is the director of photography, mm-hmm. and they
2: have a team. It might be a two-person team, or it might be an eight-person team, depending upon the scope of the project. Mm-hmm. But photographers, many photographers have assistants. The one thing that I always try to tell people in the world of video, especially for photographers, is you don't want to be the the anchor or the drag. You want to make sure that you can keep up with the action because there's so much happening to get. So, you know, maybe you saved three hundred dollars by not adding an assistant, but did you sacrifice all this other footage you could have
1: captured that was billable? Right. Yep. yep. Richard where can people find out more about you and see the things that you're working on and download your app and all this other? Sure. Um, uh, the, the easiest probably is to do a
2: search on Red Pixel, R-H-E-D-P-I-X-E-L. Uh, we've got our company website. I do have a personal blog, which is just a Richard Harrington blog. Yeah. And from there, there's very a page. creative. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I learned through the years. I had creative called blogs. I had Photoshop for video, and I had raster vector. I thought that was a, a you know easy name. It was all about graphics and imaging, and mm-hmm. people
1: kept misspelling it. So <laughs> spelling vector with a K?
2: <laughs> no, 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 no. But like E R or you know T O R, you yep. name it. So the thing that I figured out through the years is that I'm not that hard to find. And so off of my main blog, there's a page called Social, and it's got links to everything. We have a Facebook page. We've got Twitter, you know, you could follow Red Pixel
1: on Twitter. So, so is that redpixel.com forward slash social? No, no,
2: just on Richard Harrington blog. Okay. You just go to the social. Or just Every, everything you. I do connects. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So follow me on one place, you'll you'll hear about the others. They all it's that interweb thing. They all connect.
1: Yep. Cool. And, and they miss- can just do a search
2: on Amazon. They'll find stuff
1: there too. Oh yeah. So Amazon. So you you want them to go to you can find you on Google or Amazon. That's yeah. It. Starting right, points will get you into the the Harrington verse. Yeah, there, there's there's there's
2: uh, four Richard Harringtons. There's the Canadian photographer who I believe is dead. I'm not him. Okay. <laughs> there's the <laughs> rock journalist who also lives in Washington DC. That when I was a rock journalist got me interviews with BB King and Prince. So oh. it's awesome to be confused. Nice, nice, right. nice. And, and then there's the Richard Harrington who is a uh, politician in the UK. I'm not them. All right. But if you just search, I'm the number
1: one hit on Google. All right. Or look for R H E D Pixel. Alex Lindsay. I'm on the Twitters. That's it. That's it. This Twitters. Yeah. All right. Alex is, has as a single point of entry, and it is Twitter.com forward Alex Lindsay, slash Alex one word. Um, And a couple of other places. If you're if you want to if you want to get deeper into the Twip universe, make sure you check us out on Twiplog.com. We've also got a Flickr group, which you can find at Flickr.com forward slash groups. Forward slash Twip. We've got almost ten thousand members in there, each contributing about eighty one thousand photos in our Flickr group as I speak, and we're adding new members all the time. So, um, if you want to participate in some of the contests that we'll have coming up in twenty ten, please be sure to join our Flickr group um, because I want to get it up past ten thousand. Come on! Um, And also, we've got a Facebook presence, so just search for this week in photography on Facebook and join our group, and you'll be able to keep up with us there. And I think that pretty much covers all of our fl- all of our online presence. You, you
0: really know. want to register? We're going to be doing a lot with Twiplog. Where you know, it's actually we'll, you'll start seeing some of that this week. Yep. Where we have more contributing stuff, more news, more stuff, and we really want people's interaction. So when we post something that's on the news, mm-hmm. we want to see what you say before we talk about it next week. And we'll, we'll start we'll start referring back to people and so on and so forth. So we're really working very hard on building kind of a more interactive experience there. So come up to Twiplog.com.
1: Yep. And there's a there's a great article that just got posted yesterday. Day, I think it was from Joseph Lanaski on advanced file management in Aperture. He knows his stuff. He, if there's one person on the planet that that knows a, the inner workings and the back doors and everything for Aperture, it's Joseph. So uh, go check out that article that he wrote, and he also put together a cool ebook on the topic that goes into in even more depth. So there's not a whole lot of resources out there that I've seen for Aperture. Uh-um. And uh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Aside from the one <laughs> Richard Harrington and his book that's on uh, Amazon that you can it's search It's the for Apple it. Training Series book. The Apple Training Series, yeah. So, the, I mean, <laughs> still,
2: there are very few resources there between. Very, there's like four Aperture books. So, I yeah. put So, it now there's way. five already, now with Joseph's. I already bought Joseph's
1: book. Yeah. So, yeah. have I. Yeah. So, I would definitely check that out it's a really good book so uh, that's up on Twiplog right now so check us out there check us out on Flickr check us out on Facebook and also if you want to connect with me you can do so at my blog at frederickvan.com and that has links to all of my presences online including Twitter on which I am Frederick Van. and with that it is time to take that lens cap
0: off